Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Uh, Hi, this is James and welcome to Brainwaves. Uh, Today we have Barb Mullen in the studio uh, who, who will be talking about BPD community. Uh, and we also have Chris and Amber interviewing. Uh, Thanks, James. Hand it Appreciate over to you. Barb, um, for those of us who are more uninformed, could you tell what exactly is BPD or borderline personality disorder? Uh, hi, Chris. Um, BPD is, is a really, really interesting diagnosis. There are nine criteria for a person um, to be diagnosed with BPD. You only need five of those criteria. Mm. So this equates to over 300 different variations or manifestations of the disorder. And then when you look at whether a person's old or whether a person's young, whether a person's male or whether the person's female, and then there's all of the comorbidities. So it sounds really, really complex. It's not. So what I'd like to do is to um, say that I think the thing to consider is the three different aspects of BPD. So Mm -hmm. we look at emotional dysregulation, we look at um, relationship dysregulation and we look at a a lack of a sense of identity. And if we look at those sorts of things, then that makes much more sense. And and I've heard it said that BPD is... uh, perhaps, you know, like a very complex disorder, but if you've got someone with BPD sitting next to you, you just know it. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, Barb, can you tell us a a little bit about what BPD Community does and your role within that organisation? Yeah. Thanks, Amber. Um, I'm the chairperson of the board of directors at BPD Community. Um, There are six of us who are on the board. Um, We've got consultants on the board that come on for special areas, for example, stigma and discrimination. Um, We've also got an extensive general community of over 250 people and um, these are people that we're regularly in touch with and who are participants within, if you like, this sense of community that we're creating. And um, I I know that I've heard from lots of people that, um, you know, BPD is one of the worst and most stigmatising labels that you can uh, receive. And yeah. Why do you think that that um, stigma exists? I think the basic answer to that question, the short, simple answer is misinformation. I don't think people hmm. who are stigmatising or discriminating um, really understand. I think it's a prejud- prejudicial position. Um, and the thing about the, um, the stigma and discrimination that occurs, it's really important in the world of mental health itself. So unlike other mental illnesses where it's stigma in the general community that's a real problem or a real issue, with people with BPD, um, it's 
the people who work with people with BPD that are our concern. Mm. So um, most people just don't know about BPD. So for them to be, for for the stigma to exist, it's a. So you're saying the stigma is actually mostly coming from the people who work with yeah. patients with BPD. It's a very sad thing because people who work in the mental health area are a um, caring lot. You know, they're really yeah. good hearts. They choose to work in a very, very difficult area. Um, and so it's really unfortunate. It's a cultural thing. Uh, it, I, I can remember when you didn't talk about cancer because cancer was stigmatising mm-hmm. a long time ago. I can remember when schizophrenia, um, people with schizophrenia, there was an enormous lot of stigma in terms of where, uh, you know, the etiology of, of, of the disorder. So... Parents, for example, were blamed. Mm. Um, same sort of thing with autism. We are in the BPD world are where those situations and conditions were all that time ago. So we are... BPD is so out of date in, in terms of the misinformation out there about it. Um, and that's the, that's the really sad sad thing about it but hey look there's really really good news i don't want to be terribly terribly sad mm-hmm. about it because one of the most important aspects of the stigma and discrimination is lack of understanding that recovery is possible recovery is realistic oh, and amazing. recovery is within our grasp um so now i like to use the example of marshall linehan who um started dbt dialectical behavior mm. therapy and it was only recently that Marsha actually really came out and said, hey, I have BPD. She was really severely mentally ill. Not only has she come through and completely recovered, but she's to the forefront of um, dialectical behaviour therapy and introducing a therapy that is a very, very powerful path to recovery. But then I need to add, it's not the only one. There are lots mm. of paths to recovery. That's very good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, just going back to the um, stigmatising nature of that label, um, h- how do you think that that can actually act as a barrier for people um, receiving uh, mental health treatment? Um, look, it's it's again, I think it's the, the, the common basic thing is misinformation, but in the BPD community um, we did a little bit of a um, research if you like a lit review of all of the recent articles on stigma and discrimination mm. in relation to BPD. And we came up with some core core information. Um, so it's in, in describing it and how, how it's affecting, has its effect in the mental health professions. Mm-hmm. So people with BPD are seen as less deserving of treatment than others, than other mental illnesses. Mm. Um, so you can misinterpret the behaviours of people with BPD. So, you know, like a, a person with BPD may present as being challenging or intense. And if you don't understand, you can be threatened as a therapist with this mm. sort of approach from the, from the patient, from the, from the, from the mm-hmm. consumer. Um, they, it's assumed that people with BPD have control over the situation, mm. well, it's not true. They've got a mental illness, um, and and it's you know we assume they've got control because we see particular behaviours and we think, oh yeah, 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 they can control them. So it's just so unfair. There's enormous outdated attitudes to the diagnosis of BPD. Um, 
in particular in the psychiatric world because there's no pharmacological um, or it's no specific pharma oh no, these big words <laughs> pharmacotherapy okay so you can't oh, prescribe medication. a medication mm. for oh, it wow. and there's not a new unifying neurobiological organization so psychiatry finds it difficult to mm-hmm. understand the diagnosis and it look lots of stuff i could go on the patient seen as a problem and not the illness um it's stigma and discrimination is invisible you don't see it so it's hard to pick and one of the biggest issues is misdiagnosis or underdiagnosis what is another diagnosis that someone might Mm. be given the big one is the big one is bipolar Mm. um other ones complex post-traumatic stress disorder and there are sometimes that's done because the clinician thinks that BPD is stigmatizing and I don't want to be hmm. labeling someone with a disorder that's so stigmatizing so I would diagnose this I imagine then that that you know incorrect diagnosis would prevent you know the right treatment yeah. being given yeah. mm. and it's not just the consumer that's affected by that because of course we think of the consumer in that situation but then the family of the consumer of the course. friends of the consumer and so when they um then then that if you don't know about the bpd then you are not in a position to learn the things that will help you work on the relationship that you have with your loved one and so it's not just the consumer who's affected by that it's it's a broad Mm, a knock-on effect kind a of very ha- happens. big yeah. knock-on effect uh, other stuff underfund, underfunding in research in BPD this talk about misdiagnosis reminded me of something that we spoke about before the show and yeah. I think it would be edifying to the listeners if you could help explain what exactly it meant uh, to have this borderline issue the word oh, border how does that borderline. work because yeah. a lot of people think oh borderline stigma and discrimination let's change the name mm. No, <laughs> I don't think that's the solution at all. I think there's a lot of energy wasted in in the name. A borderline diagnosis was first described, I think it was 1975. It was described, or it might have been, sorry, 1930. Mm, forget it, forget it. I'm no good with numbers. Borderline means that the person is halfway between having um, neurosis, mm-hmm. Not quite neurosis, not quite psychosis. A bit of neurosis, a bit of psychosis. So basically it's on the borderline of those two disorders. Between different disorders, making it very easy to misdiagnose, of course. Making it easy to misdiagnose if you don't, if you're not up to date with your information. (laughs) (laughs) And because of the stigma and discrimination, BPD isn't in the top 10, if you like, of mental, identified mental disorders. So when it comes to research, allocation of funds and all of this, it misses out. Uh, and it's it's a terrible situation, especially when you consider that um, BPD, there's a 2008 study of over 34,500 people in USA with face-to-face interviews, and they came up with the figures of BPD being 5.9% of the population. Wow. Okay? Wow. So you just take the rough 6%, massive 
360,000 people in Victoria then, if that figure is accurate, and I think it's significant, 360,000 people in Victoria would be diagnosed with BPD. Then they've got two parents, maybe a husband, a wife, right. maybe children. And all of those people are going to be affected. Yep. Yeah. It's big. Mm. And it's not getting the recognition it deserves. Um so we were talking before about um, some of the other diagnoses that people can be kind of misidentified with. Um, how do you think that um, once someone has got a um, BPD diagnosis, how different they are treated compared to someone with a different mental health diagnosis? Well, that gets us back to the basic stigma and discrimination stuff. So there is the, um, the issue with mental health practitioners general understanding about BPD doesn't particularly exist in the general community mm -hmm. but there is an aspect um, where there is some really really nasty stuff said about people with BPD and that's in particular corners of the internet and I would really advise caution to anyone who's associated with BPD to just go cruising on the internet mm -hmm. and go looking for stuff because there is some very hateful and, and distressing stuff out there and there is absolutely no point in looking at it. That's good to know. So as a leader in the BPD community, um, could you tell us what the BPD community is doing to help prevent the stigma and the disc discrimination that exists? Mm, thank you. Thanks, thanks, um, Christopher. That, that's our mission, excuse me, to um, replace stigma and discrimination with hope and optimism, and mm. that's our primary focus. We are um, paramount about providing accurate, up-to-date, research-based information. Mm -hmm. So we have a quarterly newsletter. We have information nights. Um, we run a carers group for carers. Uh, we'd like to do the same with con consumers, but and excuse me for using the j jargon of the sure. mental health professional. Could you professional. actually could you uh, elucidate some of what the jargon means for those of us who don't know? Yeah, a carer is uh, usually a family family member. Um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the carers of a person with BPD tend to be parents. Right. So even if your uh, son or daughter is over 30 or even more um, and has been living away from home for 20 years, you still fit that category of a carer. Mm -hmm. um, but also carers can be friends. Right. So carers, anyone who has a relationship, a close relationship, with the mm -hmm. consumer. Ah. The consumer is the person with lived experience of BPD. And the cons I hate the word. I hate the <laughs> word. But it fits in so easily because we've got consumers, carers and clinicians, you know, and it's just a general descriptive right. thing. And so, like, there's no point in fighting the system, so to speak. It's the mental health field that yeah, has created those names. Um so the question. So you you aim to help carers. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So information newsletters, information nights. So our next information nights in the first Wednesday of May. I think it's the fourth of May. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. And uh, Dr. Sathya Rao is speaking to us about stigma and discrimination, based on that um, position paper that BPD community adopted that I referred to before. And. Uh, the second part of that information night is going to be presenting the strategies that we're going to, uh, the BPD community is going to um, 
try to implement to overcome stigma discrimination. So apart from our sense of community and creating a sense of community and keeping people informed, we will be directly addressing the need of clinicians to be um, informed, if you like, of the actual situation with regard to BPD in terms of describing the stigma and discrimination that exists to them, the effects of that on the people concerned and some of the issues in relation to that. Um, I could give you a brief example if you like. Yeah, that would be That'd great. That would be fantastic. Yeah. So one of the things that clinicians tend to um, feel they need to do in their practice is adopt a neutral stance. Mm-hmm. And if you have a neutral stance with a person with BPD, then that is interpreted as being cold, as being distancing. Mm. The appropriate response for a therapist with someone with BPD is to be engaged at that emotional level. The person who is the therapist may perhaps struggle with, I think the word is transference, Mm. and I have to um, admit here, I am not a psychologist and I am not a therapist and I have no experience in the mental health professions. So if I say something that's slightly um, discordant, please forgive me, but it's appropriate to have an emotional connection with your patient because the patient or consumer clinician relationship is critical to recovery and it is that relationship that is going to make it a success interesting it's not Mm. the only thing right but it's integral to the it's integral and it's a core aspect and so if you go adopting a neutral stance it's invalidating Mm. and the key is to be validating and the key is to connect at that emotional level and if you have difficulty as a clinician with the emotions of the person you're treating, then you need to learn how to identify your own emotional needs as a clinician, meet those own emotional needs and not reflect them back on your patient. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I think for not only um, um, BPD but other disorders as well, that yeah, that neutral stance can be interpreted by many as really cold. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And Mm. I think, yeah, and perhaps perhaps rightly so. It's a a self-protective measure. But perhaps clinicians need to look to themselves and look at their own issues. Mm. The way that they're, yeah, Yeah. engaging. Mm. It's really interesting. So the community element uh, seems to be very important to you and your work. How, how is this community fostering the healing of people with BPD? Oh, that's a lovely question, Christopher. Thank you. Um, um, I, I often describe the book by Kira Van Gelder, Borderline, what is it, Buddha and the Borderline? Mm-hmm. Which is a brilliant book by a young woman um, from USA who has, who is severely ill and has come through into complete recovery. And uh, she's an extraordinary woman and she's a very creative young woman who writes and and is also engaged in art, I believe, like many of us with BPD. 
Um, Kira wrote that her book based on the idea that the therapy didn't work. It wasn't enough. What she did was good, but it wasn't enough and it wasn't what held her. What made the difference for her was finding her sense of community, finding support from others who were able to um, reinforce the journey that she was on, her personal journey. Uh, she found it in a Buddhist community. But it's a lesson there for all of us. I think that that sense of community is the powerful difference that can that can make a difference for all of us. Because as a carer, when you sit down with other carers, all of a sudden you don't have to explain anything. It's everyone else understands. Yeah. You feel at home. As a consumer, when you're with others, it's just you know you know exactly what's you know you understand how other people are thinking you feeling comfortable so and people who work with people with BPD are in the same sort of category as the carers and consumers they make our community those three components and what we're trying to do is number one of course um, replacing stigma and discrimination with hope and optimism but number two in doing that creating a cultural change a sense of community that will provide that difference and that support um, that will complement any therapeutic process that will bring a person to a place of recovery that's fantastic so where can people go to get that help and advice that you've well they can always we we open um welcome so anyone of course can contact us um and um and join our community Mm -hmm. we've got about over 250 people who are on our email list that um there's a regular informal contact between some people and the board of directors right there's um, people participate at our information nights, so we regularly have um, 35 to 40 people at our information nights. Our carers group is just starting off. We would like to do lots and lots of things, but I'd say here we're all, all volunteers. We have no funding. We're all just starting off, and, and we're running along before we've properly learnt to walk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to encourage anyone who had a... Um, a connection with BPD to contact us via our email. And we'll be able to put the email on the website. Yeah, uh, we'll put the links yeah. up on the um, Brainwaves uh, section of the 3CR website. Fantastic. Uh, thanks, and uh, this is Brainwaves, 855 AM on your dial, uh, and we just spoke with uh, Barb Mullen, uh, and she spoke about the BPD community. And thanks to our interviewers, Amber and Chris. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.